Hello, friends. Hey, Alicia and Kayla. And the other Alicia. I'll let you two wonder which one the other Alicia is. Glad for you all to join us today for This Is Why We Have the Psalms Part 4. Tonight we're going to look at Psalm 23. And while you're here, if you're here, drop us a comment and say hello to all of your all of your sisters and your brothers and hit the share button. So go ahead and share out there. Let's see Sandy and Sherry and Sheena. Hit the share button and uh, we'll get going. Hey, Michelle, hope Bill is well. Hope Indiana is well. For those of you who are listening on podcast and you're hearing me referring to comments. We're doing this on Facebook Live, so that's what's up there. So now you know. And now that you're in the know, we're glad that you know. So go ahead and share it out there. You know how we do it. And uh, while we're waiting on the rest of the family to gather around the virtual table here, we will let you know that we are starting Go Points online this week, this coming week. So it will be April the 20th. That will be Monday. Go Points uh, is something that we created. Um, I mean, goodness, about half a year ago now, and it's a three-step experience to help people explore Gen U and discover their design and then join the Dream Team. So it's a great way to connect. It's also the pathway to membership, and it's the process for joining a team. And you say, well, why are we doing that now? Like, we can't gather at the church right now. Uh, Well, we will, and God willing, it will be sooner than what we all hope. I have no announcements to make. I have no information. I'm in the same boat as the rest of you all on that, but uh, I would love it if you would join me and our team uh, for the GoPoints online experience. It's all going to be done through Zoom, and you can check that out at genuchurch.com. It's all right there on the homepage or at genuchurch.com slash gopointsonline. So if you're looking to connect or contribute, that's how you do it. All right, so more people are joining us here. So many. Sheila, my friend, John, our boss. Ladies and gentlemen, John Bost is in the house. You don't know why that's important, but you should. You should know John Bost. Everybody needs to Facebook stalk him in a little bit. He's a dear friend of mine from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, is a true elder in my life and just a wonderful man. I love him. Well, you know what we do? We look at a psalm together. Why do we look at psalms? Because uh, these days are why we have the psalms. The psalms, uh, the psalms articulate. Um, they give us words whenever we don't have words. They, they give us prayers when we don't have prayers. The psalms are the ways that the elders of our faith have given us language uh, for times when we don't have our own words. So right now, we we need all of the wise words that we can get. And so the Psalms go to the highest of human emotion, and they sink to the deepest of human despair. And they're honest, and this is why we need them. These are our words to God, and these are God's words to us. The Psalms are like a, a lyrical dance between us and God a give and a take, an ebb and a flow. And Psalm 23, my friends, you know this, is just as good as it gets. And um, I didn't want to do Psalm 23 just because it's the one that you should do. I wanted 
these, the, I don't, I don't have, I don't know what next week's psalm is going to be. You know why? Because I don't know what my life's going to be like in the next week. So I'm kind of preaching to you from the text of my own life, which happens to be the text of the scripture. And here comes Psalm 23. And I want you to think about your favorite line from this psalm, because I know you have one. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So tonight I want to approach this psalm from a way I've never approached this psalm uh, before. I've never heard it taught this way before. Um, I've never thought about it this way before, which means there's a good chance that I'm probably going to get some stuff wrong and that's okay. But I'm going to speak to you from where I'm at and what I feel like the Lord is showing me in this. And that's... Um, how your soul is either satisfied or weary, depending on how you nourish it. So that's going to be the, the overarching thought tonight. How your soul is satisfied or your soul is weary, depending on how you nourish it. So I've been going line by line through the Psalms, but tonight I'm, 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 I'm going to approach this a little bit differently, a little thematically. Uh, but one thing that I want you to catch is that the shepherd's desire is that the sheep is well-nourished and well-nourished at the soul level. So the shepherd's desire is that the sheep is well-nourished, that the, that the sheep is thriving at the level of the soul. So look at some of the things that the, the shepherd, the good shepherd, wants for the sheep. So in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. So God, God is my shepherd, and I don't need a thing. And what does God do? He, he leads me beside still waters. Some would say waters of rest. You skip to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So God gives us everything that our soul needs. He leads us by waters of rest so we can drink, so we can catch our breath. He prepares a full-on spread before us on a table in the presence of our enemies. And our cup overflows. So God gives us everything. We're nourished. We're nourished at the level of the soul because the shepherd gives us everything that we need. So all of this happens in the presence of evil and in the presence of danger. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, he prepares a table before me. All of these things, my cup overflows. He anoints my head with oil. All of that happens even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm sitting in the presence of my enemies, all of this happens in the presence of evil and danger. So you lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Another way of saying that is you lead me in right paths, the path of the just. You lead me in the ancient way, sometimes it calls it in Scripture. There's, there's a way that is right for the soul, and then there is a way of the sluggard or the simple or the fool. But the Lord leads us in the path of righteousness 
so that we can walk right through the valley of the shadow of death and so that we can sit confidently in the presence of our enemies. Here's the thing, though. If it's possible to walk the right path with the shepherd, and Jesus tells us that the shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one, then it's possible that a sheep could not follow the path of the shepherd. So if it's possible to walk a path of righteousness, if it's possible to follow the good shepherd on the right path, then it's also possible to not follow the good shepherd. You get that? I mean, that's pretty simple deduction, but... Like, you can follow Jesus some days and be on the right path, and then you can not follow Jesus so closely and get off the path, right? So, putting that out there, it's possible to not have your cup overflow. It's possible to not feast at the table of the Lord. It's, it's possible to, to not bed down in the green pasture where he leads you. It's, it's possible to do all those things, but it's also possible to not do all those things because you're the sheep, he's the shepherd. And here's, here's what that says to me. The, the whole imagery of this psalm is of a sheep following a shepherd, which means that there's a process of following. There, there is... There's a hearing the shepherd's voice and watching the shepherd's way so that you follow in the steps of the shepherd. Which must mean that the, the walk of a disciple in following Jesus is not concluded the moment that you pray a prayer so that you can get a preferred afterlife. Now, I don't want to be snarky with this, but I, I want to be a I want to I want to have just an edge of um Cynicism is not the right word, but I, I want to critique the idea that that because so so much of so much religion is structured this way. It's designed to persuade you to make a confession, to believe a thing, to pray a prayer, to have your sins forgiven so that you're saved, so that you can have a preferred afterlife. When when the the whole corpus of the biblical text is not about a moment, but it's about a meandering. It's, it's not about wishful thinking. It's about following the way of Jesus. So salvation is not something that happens because you pray a prayer and believe the right thing so that you can have a preferred afterlife. Salvation is an invitation to a way of life so that you are saved as you go. Not a process of salvation, although you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not that you earn it. But salvation is a way of life. It's the good life. It's living in the good land. It's following the ways and means of Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. So, so confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You, have be, you shall be saved. Yes, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in that day, Caesar was Lord. That was the rhetoric. That was the mantra. That was written everywhere. Caesar is Lord. And Caesar was the son of God. But to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. To believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Which means that he's not somebody who just died, but he's actually living and still leading the people of God. So to be a disciple is not about believing the right thing. Belief is the least part of faith. Your beliefs are going to change. Do we want orthodox beliefs? Absolutely, but your beliefs are going to evolve. 
You're going to believe some things now that you're going to look back on later and go, I'm not sure how I feel about that anymore. But faith compels you to walk even whenever your beliefs are shifting and changing. That's why we have to have a lot of room for people who disagree with us. And we have to major on the reality that following Jesus is about loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So the way of salvation is not a moment in time. The way of salvation is an invitation to a path of following Jesus that changes everything. And you're constantly awakening to what it means to be saved, to live in the kingdom of God. So if it's possible to walk the way of the shepherd, it's also possible to not walk the way of the shepherd. And what I'm trying to poke at is this is a moment-by-moment -moment reality. It's not something that happens one time in an altar a long time ago. I know a lot of people who will say, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm going to heaven when I die. Who gives a doggone doo-doo about, about that as being the highest goal? I want to go to heaven, you want to go to heaven, but today is when it matters. You follow Jesus today, whenever you close your eyes and wake up on the other side of eternity, you'll be following him then. We spend so much energy getting people to believe the right thing so they can go to the right place. And what Jesus is trying to do is not to get you to heaven, but to get heaven into you. And the rest of it will take care of itself. Why? Because he created you for earth, not for heaven. And he wants to save you every single day in the sense that he wants to wake you up to the kingdom way every single day. The Lord is my shepherd, not because I prayed a prayer, but because I'm following him. I shall not want, not because I ate one time in an altar, but because I'm still eating. He makes me lie down in green pastures, yes, today and tomorrow and the next day. The invitation is to follow. That's the invitation of Psalm 23. It's not some platitude that makes you feel better about your life with God. It's an invitation to follow. So I believe in heaven. I believe in praying a prayer. I believe in confessing our faith. I believe in salvation by grace through faith. I believe in all of that. I just don't think that that's something that happens one time and then we check a box. You've been invited to something that's wild and woolly and dangerous and mystical. And that's the way of Jesus. So we can, we, we can choose to follow the right path each moment, each day. We can choose to have our soul satisfied at the table of the Lord. We, we can sit at the table of the Lord in the presence of our enemies. We can choose to have our soul satisfied in, at the table of the Lord, or we can eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table like dogs. We can choose to have our soul satisfied from the richest affair in the presence of the Lord, or we can eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So your soul can feast on God, or your soul can feast on alternatives that you think satisfy but don't satisfy. So here's an example. Is, is my soul in a moment of, let's just say I feel calm, I feel relaxed, maybe I feel a little bit bored. Is what my soul wants Facebook, or does it want FaceTime with God? Is my desiring intimacy a desire for intimacy with God, or is it a desire for illicit images online? Because when the, when the desire comes, when at the soul level, from an affective or from a sensory or from an emotional standpoint, when you have a desire, often what you do is you misinterpret what that desire is longing for. You think that desire is longing for food or for sex, or for security, or whatever it is. Actually, what the soul is longing for is 
a deeper level of connectedness with God. Now, do we need food? Do we need all those other things? At some level, yes, for sure, right? But remember, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I think that what happens sometimes, we, 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 feel, we feel anger rising up. And so what do we do? We feed on the emotion of lashing out. When in reality, what our soul is telling us is you actually feel insecure, you feel hurt, you feel injured, and you can go and have your head anointed like a sheep in the presence of the Lord. Or you can eat the fruit of lashing out and that anger and that emotion. You see, as disciples, we actually don't have the luxury of eating the fruit of lashing out. We don't have the, the, we don't have the luxury of eating the fruit of anger or lust or whatever it is because it satisfies temporarily, but it ultimately leaves us hungry. And I want to show you, I want to show you why what you feed your soul is twice as important as what you think. So when we feed our soul's appetite with inferior food, we are actually experiencing damage in two ways. And this is some language that comes to us from a 16th century Catholic mystic named St. John of the Cross. And the two levels that we experience damage whenever we feed on, we'll call them empty spiritual calories or things that are not what our soul really desires. And insert your own vice here. Number one is the privative, and number two is the positive. So the privative is when you don't feast on God and you deprive. You, you deprive your soul of feasting on God, the bread of life. So you're depriving your soul of that, and you're actually going after something else instead. So that's the first way we damage our soul, by, by not feasting at the table of the Lord, by not bedding down in green pastures, by not stopping by still waters and drinking. So there's what we're deprived of. That's, that's like a negative sense. It's what I'm missing out on. That's the primitive sense. The second way is the positive sense, which is actually a positive negative, and I'll explain you're not drawing nourishment from God, and instead you're drawing nourishment from something else that not only, only it, it at best only temporarily satisfies you, but it doesn't satisfy you at a deeper level. At worst, it doesn't satisfy you at all. And in worst case, worst case, it actually drains energy from your soul. So the two areas, primitive and the positive, which is actually negative, but follow this. You're depriving yourself of what your soul really wants, which is God. And then you're consuming things, which is actually draining spiritual energy from you. So it's doubly bad in that sense. You're missing out on what you really need. You're consuming what actually only creates additional hunger. So Jeremiah 2.13, this is what Jeremiah is talking about. You can look this up later. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. This is exactly what I'm talking about, two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain, fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So not only have they forsaken the living water from the well that gives the living water, which does not leak, they, they are depriving themselves of the living water, and instead they're digging out cisterns that leak and they're draining spiritual energy. So it's doubly bad. That's why sin is so destructive. I sin, you sin, we all sin. But the thing that's been blowing my mind is it's not just what you're doing that's, that, that's bad. And this is why I was beating to death the idea of I pray a prayer and I'm fine, I'm forgiven, I'm salvation by grace through faith. You think that that's the goal is to get you into heaven when in reality you're entering into a relationship with Jesus so you can continually draw nourishment by the Spirit of God from the Father, the bread of life, 
so that whenever those things are presented, you actually don't have to go after them. The reason it's so important is when you go after them, not only are you not going after the real thing that your soul really wants, you're eating something that is going to cause a hole in your own soul, so to speak, and you're going to leak energy. That's why sin is so destructive, and I finally have language for it. I, I don't know why it took me this long to realize that the things that I do that are unbecoming of a Christian man, it, it's like you can't just cover it up by saying, Jesus, forgive me. And you hear my heart on this. I, that's a transactional view of salvation. It's like you can't just, you can't undo it by saying, Jesus, forgive me, because that's not what Jesus is concerned about, I don't think. I don't think that you mess it up, and you're like, Jesus, forgive me for that. And then you go right, here's what I'm talking about. You go right back to it, Jesus, forgive me for that. You go right back to it, Jesus, forgive me for that. And I think Jesus is just like, don't you realize that forgiving you, I, I love you. Nobody can snatch you from my hand. We're walking together. I'm committed to you. I give my life for you. I'm not giving up on you. What, what you're asking for is forgiveness because you're afraid that you're not going to make it to the good place. And what I'm saying to you is that stuff is killing you. So that's why, that's why I'm like, salvation by grace through faith isn't a license to say, I can do this, Jesus, forgive me. What Jesus is really wanting to get at, I think, through the power of the Spirit is like, man, you're, Tommy, you're, you're doing these things thinking you can just say, Jesus, forgive me. And I'm, I'm actually, I've forgiven you. I've saved you, and I actually want you to walk with me, and the thing that you're doing isn't so much about, okay, you have to say, forgive me, God, so if you die right now, you go to heaven. No, no, no. The reason that you need to repent, which is what the Bible talks about for people of faith, the reason you need to repent is because you're drinking, you're drinking from a cistern that's leaking. You think it's going to fill you. It's not going to fill you. So you're so worried about getting to the good place and saying, forgive me, and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get you to realize how much damage that what you're doing is doing. So check this out. You, one, you're missing out on the authentic, and two, you're consuming the inferior. So you're not getting what you need, and you're eating food, empty spiritual calories that's actually harming you, so it's two evils, it's double impact. So feeding authentic desire with inferior food, check this out. This, is, this language is 500 years old. Feeding authentic desires with with empty spiritual calories, it's, it's like a famished person who opens his mouth to satisfy himself with air. It's a person who is so thirsty, she's just famished, and she, satis she opens her mouth to satisfy herself with air, but she finds that instead of being filled, the mouth only dries up more since air is not the person's proper food. The fulfillment only causes more hunger and emptiness. The intensity of the appetite does not diminish when the appetite is satisfied, even though the object is gone. What your soul longs for is intimacy with God, not online, online things. What, what your soul longs for is not to be right, but to be loved. What your, what your soul longs for is, is not just more, 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 more. What your soul longs for is deeper. So to kind of pull this all together, the, the transactional view of, of salvation is so inferior because it's concerned with just out there and instead, we have a shepherd who invites us to follow today. 
So in every moment, we pick the food that either satisfies our soul or creates more hunger. So not only in the, I don't, I hope you're getting this. I wish we were together so I could see your faces. Because I'm talking at the soul level and I realize it's tough. But you, when I'm feasting on God, it, my soul is satisfied in such a way that that I, I, I'm centered, I'm calm. When I'm not feasting on God, when I'm feasting on empty spiritual calories, it's like a person who opens up her mouth when thirsty and just inhales more air. So not only does it not give you what you think you, it's going to give you in the moment, not only does it not really give you, it's a temporary fix. It's a serotonin boost from getting a like on your Facebook post or Twitter post or Instagram post. Not only does it not give you what you think it's going to give you, it creates more hunger so that the hunger grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, how, how do we stop the cycle? We shut our mouths. You stop it by stopping. How do you stop it? You stop it by stopping. And then not only you're not feeding it, but it's not making you more hungry in an inferior sense. Well, how, how do we stop it? We stop it by feasting on God. Well, how do I stop it? I stop it by putting God first in the morning. Well, how do I stop it? I stop it by being full with the words of life. Well, how do I stop it? I stop it by believing the things that God has said about me rather than by distracting myself with opinions of everybody else. Never has there been a time in human history where we've sought so much validation from people whose opinions we can't control. It's a chasing after the wind. So why don't we go to the fountain of life? Two evils that they had chased after. One, they had forsaken the fountain of living waters. And two, they dug out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. So ask yourself, the next time you're tempted to, to slander somebody, to feed yourself with empty spiritual calories, to lash out at your children, to give in to uh, a, a craving for intimacy in an inferior way, Nobody's heaping condemnation on you. Is there forgiveness for you? Yes. Can you repent of that? Yes. Can you say, Jesus, forgive me? All those things, of course, of course, of course. What I'm saying is think one level up from that. And, and instead of living repentance to repentance, get on another path to where you can say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you and break out of this cycle. And whenever you get off the path, you get back on the path. And when you get off the path, you realize the good shepherd comes to you. And any steps you take toward the good shepherd, the shepherd's always coming to you. So wherever you are on this, you're like, oh my God, I, I, he must know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing. You don't even, I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. I know that the shepherd knows what you're doing. I know he's not mad. He loves you. And he wants you to return moment by moment. As many times as you need to. So stop keeping score because Jesus isn't keeping score. Stop keeping score because Jesus isn't keeping score. They're talking about handing out cards or, you know, technology or things as in some countries as they're vetting people's level of immunity with COVID. Who knows where all that's going to go? Who knows? Who knows where all that's going to go? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'll tell you this, though. I heard somebody say, and I believe this, that the empire knows you by your number, but Jesus knows you by your name. So Jesus doesn't judge you based on 
your level of immunity or not immunity. Jesus doesn't judge you based on how many sins you committed last week versus this week. The empire knows you by your number, by what you can produce. But Jesus knows you by your name. He's in relationship with you. It's not transactional. The empire is always about transaction. What can you give me and what can I give you in order to get more from you in the long run? Empire is always about productivity. Jesus is always about presence and intimacy. So the shepherd is an ongoing relationship. Don't turn life with Christ into transaction because you pray to prayer sometime or you think you have to level the score when you sin and I have to pray for repentance and everything's fine. Okay, repent. But actually repentance is a changing of heart and mind to follow the way of life, the path of righteousness. So um, whenever you're tempted in any way, whatever that is, you can always ask, where's the shepherd? Jesus, where are you right now? And you can go there. You can ask yourself, what do I really want? That's a good, that's a good line. Say, what do I really want? What do I really want? Sometimes I go to the refrigerator and I say, what do I really want? Sometimes I pick up Facebook and I say, what do I really want? You see, the spirit is not as immediate in the sense that you get the instant gratification because the spirit doesn't want to give you instant gratification. The spirit wants to actually lure you into a place to where your soul lives full all the time. Not just a quick hit in and out, but wants to lure you deeper into the presence of God. So this is your practice maybe for the week. What do I really want? Feast on the good desire. Feast on God. And eventually you'll desire less junk. It's one of the things they say about practicing meditation. The reason you meditate, even whenever you, on the scripture, the reason you meditate is, is so that the next time your mind is distracted to wander, you will have built up the muscle to be able to return it to the path. So it's the reason we feed our soul the words of God is because whenever the inferior words come, the inferior opportunities come, the inferior food comes, we'll already be full. And on those times where we eat the empty spiritual calories, we'll, we'll be like, I know what that was. I'm, I'm going to repent. Not so that I can get to heaven, but because my soul is only satisfied in the presence of the good shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So I would love to hear from you. There are a pile of comments that are building up here. And uh, Jorah said, if you can't see the path laid out in front of you, it's easy to stray. Becky said, there's no escalator at the altar. See my friend John there, not a moment, but a meandering. Y'all need to, y'all need to, fr you, what you need to do is at some point, if you're interested in the church, you need to go on the Amazon. You need to look for a book called Repo, R-E-P-O, The Church in Foreclosure. John wrote it over a decade ago now, and it couldn't be more relevant. Let's see. Jody Mann, following him to fulfill what he created us to do. Yeah, your soul knows at the deepest level what it wants. And um, sometimes the reason that you feel drained and diseased on the inside is because your soul know what it, knows what it wants. And you keep giving it what it doesn't want. So it's like, ah, faith doesn't mean once in a lifetime. Faith is a moment of every day. We have our moderator here. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Yeah, yeah. 
Whole foods versus junk food. Let's see. Alicia says, no, it's not a transaction. Transactional versus transformational. There's a good word. James Houston wrote a book called The Transforming Friendship and Joyful Exiles. You might pick up one of those. Those are good. Transformation is not a spiritual hit because transformation is painful. Jesus, God in heaven. Luke Williams coming in. She whiz. Transformation is not a spiritual hit because transformation is painful. Yeah, the way of the cross is the way of suffering. The way of suffering leads to death, and the death leads to resurrection. So, yeah, the way of transformation is always the way of suffering. But on the other side of the suffering is resurrection. And so none of us have suffered when tempted to the point of death, so there's always a way out, is what Scripture says. I love this church. Known by name, not by a number. Yeah. These are so good. Kayla says, that was deep, good, but deep. It was, for sure. Yeah, I'm still processing it. So here's where we are today. You're like, yeah, that wasn't very practical. It's the most practical thing you could ever hear. Uh, how do I do it? You're just going to have to listen. You're going to have to listen when you're tempted to go, because I think that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that taught him and that taught the disciples, is the same spirit that teaches you if you're willing to listen. So you might just say something like this, Holy Spirit.